Amen. Quick announcement. Just wanted to share with you next Sunday evening, we will have a business meeting. We have some... Uh, that excitement? I mean, I didn't know. Is that what we've been missing all along? All I need to say was business meeting about, whoo, glory. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay. Whew. All this time I thought it was revival we wanted. All we need was a business meeting. We got it made. No, we do have business meeting. We have uh, a request from the church uh, to make, maybe uh, have some property that we have that we're not necessarily using right now. And, uh, just some decisions that w will be good for us, maybe to bless another fellowship. So, And we'll cover a few other things, but just so that we let you know, next Sunday evening we will have a business meeting. So today, what I've got to share with you, I have no idea how this one's going to come out because God has been dealing with me very, very strongly over the last two or three weeks. As a matter of fact, I've shared with you talking about spiritual warfare, I've had a pretty... Let's just say that the enemy has not left me alone a whole lot. And uh, he has plagued my mind. He has tried to discourage me. He has tried more than probably any other time in my life. He's tried to discourage me. He has not been successful. But there are some things that I do want us to talk about today. Some things that I believe. And, and please understand, it's not Tennessee Avenue that that, that, that is... I guess, bringing about a lot of these questions and things that I have in my heart. It's what I'm seeing in the church as a whole. And normally, whenever I speak about the church, I can usually say, well, it's those people that are on the fringe. It's those people that are on the outside, or it's those people that are, uh, you know, quasi-church. You know, sometimes playing church, sometimes, you know, uh, doing what they're supposed to do. But I want to be very, very careful. I want to say a couple things up front. I am not the arbiter. I am not the final say on anything. I am a human being, flawed, broken. I am a Christian. That's what I am and that's what I try to be. I do not claim to be better than anybody else, nor am I better than anybody else, and I never will be. I think that I could give Paul a run for his money whenever he says that I am the chief among sinners. I said, Paul, that's only because you have not met me yet. But what I try and am trying to do is to be faithful to what I believe that God would have me to do. And there are things that are breaking my heart in the church at large today. There is and has been for a while a change almost a paradigm, complete paradigm. We're, 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 we've changed from our focus on God to a focus on self. Uh, change from what we look to God for and what we wish to give to Him in our worship and in our life to what can God do for me. And that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. When you fall into such a mindset, and I will elaborate on that more, God becomes the person that has to satisfy you in order for you to do what you and I are supposed to do in relationship to our God and our Creator. 
It is devastating to the church. It is devastating to our spiritual development. But the problem is, do we know and do we serve God? Or are we looking for a God, and I mean little g there, that serves the Creator? title of the message that you see up there is that the lightning passes and the thunder fades. How many of you, you don't have to lift up your hands, but you can think about it, have been in a very, very bad thunderstorm? I love storms. I have always loved storms, whether we were on the coast, whether we were right there in Georgia, whether there were tornadoes in our backyard, which is not fun, I guess you'd say, to think of the devastation. But I love storms, always have. I used to love to watch lightning just just pow as it comes down. And I would think of the power and the majesty that was in that. And I guess the reason why it meant so much to me is whenever I read the scripture about God speaking to his people, his people wanted, they cried out, you know, Moses, we want to hear from God. We want to hear God's voice. A very, very bold prayer, by the way. Many of us would say we want to hear the voice of God, but many of us are ignorant of what we're asking for whenever we pray that prayer, as were they. You see, God's a lot bigger than we think he is. God is infinitely bigger. God is not simply in the universe. All the universe is before him. He sees it all. And so they cried out for God to speak to them. So God had them come to a mountain and forbade them from even setting foot on it, lest his holiness kill them. Not that God was trying to kill people. He was telling us that we as human beings do not understand how actually or how awesome, and I'm using that word in its true meaning, all, how awesome and fantastic and great God really is. Because when God spoke and he uttered his voice, it says that the very earth shook where they were, like an earthquake. There were lightning and thunderings that were taking place. A thick, dark cloud descended on that mountain as God spoke and said, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Some of you recognize that as the Ten Commandments, and you would be correct. They, in turn, as they felt their beings being shaken, cried out to Moses and said, uh, Moses, do not let God speak to us. Tell God not to speak to us. We're, we're, we're willing to go back to the way it was. We would rather have you, Moses, speak to us Because if God speaks to us, we might die. But you see, that was a moment in their life that they will always remember. God himself said that he came down and he spoke to his people that the fear of God might remain in them. That we would remember that God is holy, that God is real, that God is faithful, that God is all-powerful, that God is just, that God is just that, God. But the problem is, is that as time goes on and generations go on, we fade and we begin to move and the thunder is not as loud as it once was. And the lightning 
The flash that was there begins to fade and we forget what happened on that day. One of the most devastating things that will ever happen to a believer is that we forget God, time and time again, with all the festivals, with all the different things that he did, there would be a commemoration to remember what God has done. Christ himself, who was going to die on the cross, had a meal, sat down with us, and he said, this do in what? Remember me, in remembrance of me. Remember this event. That's why Israelites, three times at least a year, were required. Every Israelite male had no choice. He must appear before God. We still have that here. You know, people show up on Christmas and Easter and maybe Mother or Father's Day. What's your one you love most? But that's the truth. Everybody's like, well, we have to go to church today. Why? It's Christmas. Okay, we'll go to church. God did it so we wouldn't forget. God recognizes that it passes for human beings. Unless there is something absolutely burning right in front of them, we forget. We forget what it is a privilege to know God and to worship God. We live today in America, and the idea that we have is, is whenever we talk about God, we are living many times on what God did back then. And we're talking about what God did for our brothers and sisters or our ancestors. I'm not talking about just straight on back to the Bible, although some people are that way. But what I'm saying is that it's always yesterday's faith. Faith. We go back to the Billy Graham generation, or we talk about the great awakenings that took place in America where God moved upon the earth. We talk about that. My question to you is, where has God gone? Where'd he go? Where are the people that burned for Christ today? The church is dimmer than it has ever been in America. And people will say this. They'll say, well, there's still the light of God. Yes, God's light among his people. There will always be a remnant. There will always be. God is returning for his church. It will be a perfect bride, and he is returning for them. But I am finding out today, and you can get angry with me if you want to. Can't kick me out tomorrow. If you only knew how close I came this week to coming in here and telling you that I have failed you as a pastor and that you needed to go and find a different pastor, you look at him and say, Pastor, are you serious? Yes. See, most people think that pastors come to a church because they want a big fat paycheck. I don't care about your money. I didn't come here for money. And I won't stay for it. The day I feel like I am not benefiting you, helping you, growing you, doing something for you spiritually, you won't vote me out. I'll come to you and it'll be like a shock. And I'll say to you, I have done what I can do. I don't think I can do more. You say, well, pastor, you've only been here a year. Exactly. A year. A year. Where have we come in a year? You know what the sad thing is? Is guess what the church universal has done in a year? About that. We see a darkness. Now, people will come back and they'll say, well, you know what? We had this Supreme Court decision. I am so grateful 
that Roe versus Wade was turned over. But did anybody, I want you to be brutally honest with me. Be brutally honest with me. Did anybody see that coming? No. Nobody in America said, I knew it. I knew it was going to happen. That came so far out of left field that I was literally going like this. What is somebody up to? I'm grateful. Don't get me wrong. One of the greatest uh, victories that we've seen. But where did that come from? It had to come from God. It was so great of an event. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I don't, I don't understand what's happening. We in America do not understand the importance of church. People, by and large, and I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, but here's the deal. People by the droves are abandoning church. People say, no, 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 no. What they're doing is they're abandoning dead religion. Well, I got news for you. The people that are leaving are part of those people that made it dead. We have in our minds, and I know that this sounds horrible, what I'm about to say, but we have it in our minds that a church must have A, B, C, and D in order for it to be able to minister and to minister effectively. I know churches today that have less than 30 members in them, less than 30 members that are changing the world for Jesus. They don't have a bell. They don't have a whistle. Some of them don't even have a sound system in them. And yet they burn for Christ like there is no tomorrow. They come into the house of God to worship. They are grateful. Here's a word. They are grateful to have a church. And we as a church spend more time griping. Yeah, I said it. As a matter of fact, after this business meeting, if you want it after church, I will take any anonymous U-Haul gift certificates you want to give. But here's the deal. I'm held accountable before God. God will put his finger in my face. And by the way, that's another thing we're really messed up on is the whole judgment. We think one day that all of us are going to stand before God and God's just going to look at every last one of us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not. That's not the Bible. That's not what it says. Matter of fact, it says the opposite. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to it. Not, here, here, English. Not everybody that calls me their Lord is going to inherit the kingdom of God, but only those that do the will of my Father in heaven. There will be many, Jesus said, that come to me in that day and will say, I have prophesied, I have cast out demons, I've done miracles. And he'll look at them and say, go away. I don't know you, you practicers of lawlessness, you sinners. And Baptist doctrine, and I tell you what, I hate debating because I do believe that once you're saved, you're saved. Did I say that? I believe once you're saved, you're saved. I do believe that. But I believe that there's more people out here that think that they're saved when they're not. And they live on it. I had a fellow I worked with. Like I said, I didn't know how this was coming out. Yeah, we're going to get these scriptures, so lock and load. They'll be here in just a minute. Or leave. Doesn't matter. But what I'm saying is this. had a fellow I knew used to serve in ministry, decided it wasn't for him, lives like the cotton-picking devil. As a matter of fact, I think Satan could take notes from this person. 
That's pretty bad. Asked him one day. I said, you go to church? And I, he said, his church was desperate. And he started laughing. He said, they're desperate. They want me to teach Sunday school. I said, they really are desperate. And he says, yeah, he told him, he said, I cuss, I drink. He said, I do all sorts of stuff. He said, man, I said, I'm the last person you want. They said, but we need somebody to teach. What commentary is that on the church? And I asked him, I said, brother, how do you get around this going to church thing, you know, putting on one mask and the other one? Because I'm being brutally honest with you. He said, well, are you ready for this? There's this thing called grace shame. I said, really, grace, do tell, because, you know, if you've got something I don't, you know, to where you can live like the devil and still it's compulsory heaven for everybody, please tell me what that is. Oh, he says, but it's the grace of God. You see what Jesus did on the cross? He said, I'm forgiven. I can live like I want to live. I said, that's a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie. This isn't holiness. This isn't some Bible thumper. It's the gospel. We treat Jesus like he is a divine errand boy who's going to give us everything we want in life, and we make so little of that cross. Yeah, he died so that I can be and do and act like I want to live, and that's garbage. The Bible calls that trampling underfoot the sacrifice in the blood of the Lord Jesus. That's what it calls it. People don't want to be... The Bible commands us to love one another. It doesn't give you the option. As a matter of fact, it goes as far as to say you have to love your enemies. We have a hard time loving our own families. It kills me that we believe that I'll walk into a church and I'll sit down in that church, but if it doesn't go or I don't get them, well, let's think about this, music. Let's start with music. If they don't play the music that I wanna, want them to play, then we'll go someplace else. If the pastor doesn't nail it right, to, you know, just perfect like I want him to preach or say the things I want him to say, we'll be out of here. Oh, here's another thing. If the youth program isn't this or if they don't have that, if they don't have the singles, if they don't have, all of those things are important, but let me tell you the churches that I've been to. It's really good to cross-pollinate whenever you're not in the pulpit because you actually understand what's going on. I went into a children's ministry that was absolutely packed. You couldn't get more kids into it. And I was so excited to see what was going on. When I walked through the door, there were more video games. There were more arcade games in there. I'm talking about shooting hoop and everything that was going on in there. It looked like a fair in there. I wanted to join. People say, we get them in here through this, and then we preach the gospel to them. And yet, how many of them still walk with God? No, that's not what's happening. It's an excuse. It's an excuse, it's an excuse, it's an excuse. Yes, you can have some of those things for the enjoyment of your people, but you still have to give them the gospel. And I am not here, and, and this is one of the things, I'm a dinosaur. In so many ways, oh, if you only knew what was going through my mind. I'm the antiquated preacher. I want you to understand that. I'm not the preacher of today. I'm somebody that was from way back then. I just got transplanted. I was born at the wrong time. Because I thought Jesus was enough. 
I thought that we came here to worship him. People, oh my goodness, I've been in churches and I've been to camp meetings. There's sawdust all over the floor and God is moving and he's doing this stuff. And yet we can get into churches that make this one look like it's a drop in a pool and we've got people up there on stage. And I'm not being critical in the sense that it's okay. It's okay to have music. I'd like to see drums. That's just me. But I'm going to tell you this, I enjoy lively music. But it's to worship God is what it's for. And whenever I come there and I watch these television programs, I can point you to four or five places that they have literally thousands, seven, 8,000 people sitting in their church. And that's good. I'm glad for it. Except that whenever I sit there at the beginning and they had worship, and I'm telling you what, I've been to some secular, yes, I said it, secular concerts that wasn't as rough as that. I'm talking about hard playing. And then I listen to it and they get in there and everybody's drummed up, but where's the change? Where's the difference? Where is the call to follow Christ? You know, right now, I shared this one time with you before, but think about this while I'm on my soapbox and y'all going to sleep. But anyway, what if this was the only church in Tennessee? What if this was the only church in Tennessee? Would you come? I can tell you there's a lot of people that love the Lord, and they would come. And do you know why they would come? Let's do another one. No more pianos. No more guitar. Well, I don't know if I can take what guitar. I love guitar. You know, I play guitar. So, you know, I mean, play at it. But anyway, drums, you know, organs, take it all out. Take it all out. We can't have any instruments. We're going to get rid of it all. The only thing we've got is our voices. We've got a place. You know what we're going to do? Now, I know it's hot outside. We're going to get rid of the AC. We're going to open up these windows, and we're going back to this. You know why women in the holiness tradition didn't wear makeup? Had nothing to do with holiness. They were just melting. That's truth. That's truth. And after you look at a couple of ladies whose mascara's coming down their face, you're like, God's not in there. Just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. But anyway, yeah, I'm trying to lighten the mood a little bit. Okay. But let's get rid of all these things. And all you've got is a place to come, sing to Jesus, and listen to the Word of God. That's all you got. How many of us would come? How many of us would sit in the heat? How many of us would make the sacrifice just to be here so as not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together? And that's another one. I'm going to go on there. Everybody that's watching by TV, listen to me for just a minute. If you are not physically able to be in church, I'm not talking to you, okay? If you're sick, you have immune system problems or those, those things to where you can't be here, I am not speaking to you. You need to be home. Praise the Lord that we have an avenue to get it to you, okay? I'm not talking to you. But for those people, and I'm gonna, I won't even use my word. I'm going to use my father's word, my father's word, that are too stinking lazy. Because I want to get up in my pajamas because, after all, I don't have to go to church to be saved. Yes, but you do need to go in church to church to be in proper fellowship with God. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, before anybody gets angry, you say, why? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's the Bible. If you can't, sometimes I understand that. Sometimes you'll be on vacation. Sometimes you're going to work. But if you can and you're not, you are not walking in the proper fellowship. That's just the end of it. I'll give you another example. You say, Pastor, you don't know. You don't know, Pastor, because if you had to work like I had to work and you had to do things like I have to do it, Pastor, you would understand that I could sit at home and I can do all these kinds of other things. It's fine. You don't understand me. I worked two full-time jobs, went to school full-time, and still had a family and life that I had to take care of. My wife, can I get a witness? I ain't no witness. Come on, girl. She was like, you hear in the background, amen. I remember nights and she told me, you just need to go. Does anybody know what this means? You need to go. And you want to know something that's crazy about it? Even when I wasn't pastoring, I sat at home for about three weeks and I said, boy, it sure is nice to sleep on this pillow until the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And he said, why are you forsaking me? God, I'm not forsaking you. I love you. He said, you need to be in my house with my people. I could have laid out all I wanted to and all those other things. But the point is, is we come to church and here is the thing that burns me up. Because I've been in so many churches. If it isn't something here, it's something there. Well, they don't exactly have things for me. Well, let's get it started. And let's start with you. Tell me what you need and let's do it. But you be a catalyst to start it. Everybody wants to sit on the background and say, well, they don't have this for me. We don't have this program at the church. And you fall into that category. And you just sit there. Well, whenever you get it together, we'll come and join it. We don't need you. We need you to be a part of the solution. If you are a Christian and this is the church that you belong to, you are supposed to work in it. And I'm going to tell you where churches also make mistakes, and this is going to slam me, slam me hard. We hire pastors to do the work of ministry. Listen to me, so that we don't have to. That's why we hire them. Find the person that has the, the, the training. Find the person that has been exposed. Find the person that can bring us through all of this. Hire them, put them into those positions so that we can sit back. That is not the church. So let's take a look at something. You say, Pastor, you talked for a long time. Yeah, we're going to talk for a little while longer. Nobody's bound here. You may leave at your leisure. So here we go. Mark chapter 11, 15 through 17. It says this, Jesus coming to Jerusalem. God bless the reading of his word. So they came to Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples. Then Jesus went into the temple and he began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple, thus working on the Sabbath day. Can't carry anything. Then he taught saying to them, it is is written my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations 
but you have made it a den of thieves. Question for you. If Jesus Christ walked right into this church today, stood up on this platform, and he were to give us a grade, what grade would he give? Now, you can't lie to him. He knows everybody's heart. He knows who we are. He knows what we've been about. How much do we sell in this church? What do you think about it? What's being sold? Oh, we say, well, we don't have anything sitting in the sanctuary for us to sell. No, but you know, we're buying a whole lot of garbage that the world's selling. It gets planted right out in front of us. Half the time, let's be perfectly honest. Well, no, I can't say that. That's a picture of my wife. Hold on. I was about to go, that's the devil. You know? <laughs> Let me save you a lot of trouble if you just send my wife on that. No. But what I'm going to say is this brings more garbage into your life than anything else. But I'm not doing that to my wife. That would have been bad, wouldn't it? But we're buying all the garbage that's being sold in the world. All of these things are being told to us that this is more important or our lives, materialism, everything's more important than the house of God. And hearts don't break. He said in there, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Let me tell you what that is. Yes, where people pray, of course, but a lot of things happen in prayer, primarily worship. Worship happens in prayer. Submission happens in prayer. Repentance happens in prayer. One of the major things that the church has lost is worship. And I've enjoyed a lot of our worship that we've had here but just because somebody's singing and doing it doesn't mean that we are. Worship is not something that takes place just inside the church. Worship is something that should be taking every, every place every day inside your life. There's some people that will come to you and say, well, every action that I make in my life is an act of worship. Were that it was so. Wish that it was so. God wants hearts that burn for him. He walked in. Jesus Christ walked into the very temple of God. And what could have been a semi-good thing had it been outside, but you know, you stick that stuff in the court of the Gentiles because after all, it really doesn't matter what happens to those Gentiles, right? But he came there to worship his father and he didn't find it. When Jesus says, I desire truth in the inner man, he wants you to be real. He wants you to love him. God wants people to love him. That's what he wanted from the beginning. That's the thing that God has been crying out for, for people. Not that God is sitting there saying, if you don't love me, I'm, I'm, I'm somehow deficient. God is perfect, all-powerful. But what I am saying is you were created for that, to love and worship him. And God wants people to listen to him, to trust him, to be faithful to him, to walk with him. But we don't do a lot of that. You know, there was a man, and I need to be careful what I'm saying here. Some of you call him Nietzsche, but his name is Nietzsche. 
And Nietzsche, you probably, if you've studied any of uh, Ravi Zacharias or that ministry, regardless of what happened, he quotes the parable of the madman, which was written by somebody who was not a Christian at all. But anyway, I'm not going to go through the whole parable, but I'm going to tell you this. He did say this at the end. This madman runs from church to church to church, and he starts walking in there, and he's looking around, and he begins saying, eternal rest to God, eternal rest to God. And people are like, you know, why, why eternal rest to God? He said, what have these churches come if they are not tombs and sepulchers for God? You know what a tomb is? What's a tomb? Everybody tell me about it. Think about it. Somebody you, who once was living is now buried, right? Then tombed. The idea that he was making is that churches eventually, this is what he said, churches will eventually become tombs and sepulchers of God. They will be places where God once lived, but we put him to rest. That's what the world says. But my question is, is, is that what's happening? Let me read you something really quick. Luke chapter 12, 35 through 46. I want you to just listen to this. This is not written to the lost. Jesus is not giving this parable to the lost. He is giving it to his disciples, to the people that are listening and the ones that want to learn. I want you to understand that your Bible is not written, believe it or not, to the lost. It is written to the believer that we thereby might take it to the lost. But every praise, every blessing, every, every good thing that is in there is written to us, and every warning and every judgment is written to us as well. So let's hear this. Talking about Jesus Christ returning, it says this, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. He's saying, Be ready. Lamps burning means you don't know when Jesus is going to return. So be prepared. If it's night, if it's day, whatever it is, be prepared to serve. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. In other words, you're there prepared for him because he's gone and he's coming back. So that when he will return from the wedding. And that he comes and he knocks, you may open to him immediately. Everybody knows what that means. Somebody knocks on the door, you're not expecting them. You got you to get your unmentionables and throw them in the corner of the closet or something like that because you're not prepared for company. In this case, it's saying anything that would displease your master, you're going to want to hide, right? He says, no, you need to be ready to open the door immediately. Be prepared. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find waiting for him, watching, being prepared. In other words, in this life, faithful to him. Assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you that he will gird himself and have his servants sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. What kind of thought is that? That the master is so pleased because we have been faithful and waited for him. We were prepared. We were vigilant and faithful that the master would come and serve us. Verse 38. And it says, even if he should come at the second watch or at the third watch, it didn't matter what hour of the night it was or how early, early, early it was in the morning. And if he found them so doing, waiting and watching, blessed are those servants 
But listen to Jesus' words. But know this. But know this. If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. He is switching to warning. If you knew that a thief was coming to break into your house, you certainly wouldn't be letting down your guard, sleeping, you know, or as some of the other scriptures say, become drunk and all this kind of other stuff to where you're inebriated. The point is, is if you knew something was going to happen, you would be prepared. But in this case, we don't know when the thief's coming, so we've always got to be prepared. Verse 40, therefore, you also be ready. Why? For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Listen to that again. Jesus is coming when we would not expect him. We don't know. There's too many people that write books and make a lot of money doing it. They don't know. I heard a fellow say one time, we don't know the day or the hour, but we can know the week (laughs) or the month. Let's write a book. All right. You don't know what to expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, are you speaking this parable to us only, or do you speak it to all people? And the Lord said this, Who then is the faithful and wise steward? Who is the steward that, that, that is faithful, the one that I can trust? Whom his master will make ruler over his household to give him their portion in due season. Which servant can I trust to be faithful and take care of my house? Okay? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. That is being faithful, watchful, and doing what God expects him to do. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Now here's where we just stop. We just stop right there because we don't want to read all this other stuff. But it says this, but if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servant. In other words, you know, he's not going to be coming for a while. We got time to get it right later. But right now, we're just going to live it and do it like we want to. He begins to beat his male and female servants. And by the way, by the way, those male and female servants are the servants of the master too. And then they begin to eat and to drink and to get drunk because you know what? We're just going to take all these things the master has given us and we're going to start wasting. We're going to use them for our gain and not others. Listen to what it says. This is Jesus' words, not mine. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking. When he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the what? Oh, you can say it. It's there. Unbelievers. Now, people want to argue, and they want to say, we're saved, unsaved, and this, that, and the other. The only thing I know is that the Bible says the one that neglects and the one that beats and the one that abuses, Jesus one day ain't going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's high time that we stop waving this get-out-of-hell-free card and I can still live like I want to live and do like I want to do, and we need to start getting serious about this. Okay. 
My God has already dealt with my heart. There are things that we're going to do. There are some programs that we are going to implement at this church, but it's not going to be just to have bells and whistles. Do you know how we won the early world? Do you know how it was won? People told people about Jesus. That's how it was won. We told them about Jesus, told them, and proclaimed the truth and the Spirit of God convicted people. Now we have to do 50 other things before we can even get to the gospel. And then once we get through those 50 things and we finally got the attention of somebody long enough to even talk to us, how backwards we have become. We have got to fall at the feet of Jesus. We've got to pray, saints. We've got to. A church without prayer, a human being, a Christian that, for that matter, that does not pray, it's like a human being without oxygen. You will die spiritually. You have got to ask him. Let me tell you how to think about your church. Think about it like your children. If you saw your children going to hell, I'm talking about they, they, they're little, they're growing up, you know, whatever age you want it to be. What would you do? Are you just going to let them go? Are you going to let them just make their own decisions, just say, hey, live, do it, however you want it to be? Are you going to jump in front of that bus and say, if you go to hell, you're going over my dead body? That's how you live for your church. If my church is going to die, it'll be over my dead body because I'm going to do what needs to be done for this place to be a place of prayer and worship and honor to God. And I'm going to stop thinking of me and I'm going to start thinking of him because I got news for you. If Jesus Christ isn't enough to motivate you, get rid of me. Get rid of me. Musicians are coming at this time. Today, if the Spirit of God's dealing with your heart, believe you me, it's because He has already torn me up. I said at the beginning I'm not a holy man because the fact is that there is so much that I need. I want to make better. I'm trying saints, but Lord knows I fail. Do not think I'm looking at you and saying that you are bad. I'm praying that somehow, by God's grace, I can help you to do better than me. So, today, if the Spirit of God is speaking to you, there'll be some time for us to pray. I hope you will. There's room to my right. There's room to my left. You can stand. You can kneel. You can, uh, as a matter of fact, you can sit on the front row if your knees won't allow you to, to kneel at the altar. If you just feel more comfortable doing that, let us speak. Let us turn. Let us love God. Do what he tells you to do. Forget about everybody else. Let us respond as God speaks to us. If you don't know Jesus, don't walk out of here without him. Grab, grab me before you leave if everyone would please stand. Respond as they pray.
I could have a few deacons come forward. Miss Kathy's going to sit in for Miss Meredith. She's having a lot of struggles right now. So some deacons and then maybe a few ladies and gentlemen that want to pray, you can sneak out too. Dear sister, truth of the word of God that if there are any sick among us to call for the elders of the church and to anoint the sick with oil you said father that you would hear our prayer and if they committed any sins they would be forgiven and that you would heal the sick so right now father according to your word we anoint with oil in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit now father in faith we pray we call upon the Lord. Father, we pray for Mrs. Corbin right now. God, she's going through a lot. Father, just as my sister, and as she sits in for her, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the touch of your spirit, the healing virtue of Jesus Christ, may it flow to her right now. Father, we ask you, we ask you, bless Miss Corbin today. 
touch, Miss Corbin. Breathe into our body or into our nostrils the breath of life, Father, and to lift her up and give her grace and strength. Heal her, Father. And Father, bless her. Bless this church, Father. Bless us, Lord, as we seek to please you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right. Love you. God bless you. I've kept you way too long, and you probably got a roast in the oven someplace. If you do, let me know. I'll come help you with it. The Lord bless you and keep you. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed.